Good morning, everyone. Good morning. You guys can be seated. All right, you can have your, op- your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 6 through 12 today. All right, Winston Churchill, you didn't know I was going to talk about history today, did you? Winston Churchill gave a speech on October 29, 1941, at Harlow School. It's where he attended in his youth. And at this time, Britain had endured many dark times. Uh, they had the retreat from Dunkirk and many air raids um, in England uh, from Nazi Germany. But they started to see small victories in the defense of their sky at this point. And it was a glimpse of light in the midst of those dark days. Let me read an excerpt from this memorable speech that he gave. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. And all this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, this part of the history of, of this country, were gone and finished and liquidated. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, had drawn a sponge across her slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching and no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it, We now find ourselves in a position where I say that we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. The context of this quote is the reality of war. It's the cost, the call to stand firm, to never give in. In the persecuted church, uh, it's much easier to see the war between darkness and light plainly. Our brother Marcel in Burkina Faso knows it too well. Our battle here in the United States, it's still the same battle, but the battlefield has a different context. And we must recognize what the darkness is and what God calls the light so that we can stand firm and conquer And those that are in the kingdom of darkness can't, they can't be in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of light. There's no confusion there. You can't, you don't get to play both sides and attempt, an attempt to do so is just unnatural. And Jesus spoke of a tree that bears good fruit and one that bears bad fruit as we saw in Matthew 7 that Courtney read. The reality is that we live in a world where both the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness exist and are at odds with each other. And we who are Christians were once in darkness, but now we are in light. And however, we have this tension within us to conform to the darkness, and yet we are called to never give in. It is therefore a battle zone. We forget 
the reality of this battle all too easily with the comforts and the idols that draw us away from Christ. This was a similar case for the Ephesians and why Paul has given six words or commands to help the Christian build discernment of what is dark versus light. And we have covered these over the last couple months. Let's go over them. All right, the first one, command one, do not live based on the lie, but live based on the truth. Number two, be angry at sin in your midst, but do not add to the sin. Command three, do not place your needs above others, but reflect Christ in serving others. Those of you taking notes, I'll give you a little couple seconds here. All right, command four. Do not use words that corrupt, but rather words that edify. Command five. Do not imitate the malicious one. Imitate God in kindness and steadfast love. And finally, command six. Remove all impurity and covetousness. Instead, be thankful. Remember that following these commands help us to imitate God. As Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, and Tyler helped us last week to understand the reason to imitate God is because of Christ's sacrificial love. My job as an elder and Hans's as an elder and pastor is to teach the body the high importance of following Christ by what the Word commands and why we should obey. And Paul gives this charge to Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus. And here in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul wasn't the only one to have give this charge to teach and train those in the church. Jesus also gave a command in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do we realize the authority Jesus placed on the apostles? They were to teach disciples to observe. Now, today we would define that word observe as just looking, but Jesus is stating that we are to obey and be trained in all that he commands. 
And this authority is then passed down from the apostles to the next leaders of the church, that is, the elders and the pastors, which is why Paul wrote to Titus to install elders for the purpose of building up and training the local church of Crete. Look at Titus 1.5 here. It says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And now, what was he to do with those elders? Well, Titus 2, verses 11 to 15 tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to be, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works, declared these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Now I remind you of these verses to hold me accountable as an elder to the responsibilities that the word tells us to to hold to, which is with which Hans and I and any future elders are going to be charged by. Like, we have to abide by what the Bible says. Now, I also remind you that we need to be pursuing the knowledge of Christ to hear his commands and obey them. This is not for your salvation. This is not for your salvation. This is from your salvation. You have been saved by grace and now are appointed to walk in good works as a response to having that relationship with Christ. And the job of the elders is to teach, and the teaching of God's word is important for the church's walk with Christ. To not be taught correctly will lead to confusion and error. In our text today, Paul gives warning of false teaching and strongly commands the church to follow Christ and leave the ways of darkness far behind. Let's read this warning in Ephesians chapter 5, 6 through 12, our text today. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Let's learn from the words Paul wrote that stress this concept. Light does not partner with darkness. It radiates from the source. Light does not partner with darkness. It radiates from the source. 
Yahweh. Now to break this concept down, Paul starts with a warning. He says, do not be deceived. That's our first main point here. Do not be deceived. As Paul said in uh, verse 6 there, he said, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now look, look, at this verse closely. Do you notice the works of darkness that Paul warns against here? I see deception. I see empty words. I see disobedience. Those are works of darkness. And who is the most well-known deceiver in the Bible? Satan or Hasatan. You want to get to the Hebrew. It sounds much cooler. Now, in John 8.44... Jesus calls out the Jews who claim to follow God the Father, yet Jesus makes a bold claim at them. Let's read. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me repeat a pointed question that Marcel had taught us. How do you know who your father is? How do you know who your father is? Well, it's by whom you imitate. It's by who you imitate. Imitate. So who do you imitate? The father of truth or the father of lies? Who do you imitate? The father of truth or the father of lies? Now Paul warns specifically against being deceived by empty words. And if words of truth lead us to God and life, then empty words used to deceive lead away from God which is disobedience and toward destruction. Let that sink in. When we are deceived by empty words, it is leading us away from God, which is disobedience and goes toward destruction. Let's consider the fall in Genesis 3. So you had the the serpent who was the deceiver, and he said to Eve, Oh, you want to be like God. To imitate and image him? Oh, that's great. Well, here is just the thing that you need to be like God. Piece of fruit right there. And Eve takes and eats of the fruit and gives it to Adam who also eats the fruit. I paraphrase this, but recognize that the serpent spoke empty words with the intent to deceive. And these empty words made a great boast of promise. You're going to become like God. But nothing backed them. Adam and Eve didn't become God. They became broken. They disobeyed God. And then they knew death. Before the fall, death wasn't even a worry. And if only Adam and Eve brought to remembrance the words of truth from God, 
to eat anything in the garden except for the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, the sad thing is we, like Adam and Eve, we want to believe the empty words that lead to disobedience. We don't think that's where they're going to lead, but that's where they lead. See, we want to believe that if we are good, moral people, that God will just love us because we are just that good. And that life will just be better because of it. We want to believe that if we make money the number one priority, then we will be happy. We want to believe that if we just get our way, then we will be content. We want to believe that if we are true to ourselves, rather than obedient to God, then we'll be fulfilled. Now, I have to state to you, brothers and sisters, that these are false. These are all empty words. Now, let me give you some contrasting statements that are instead truth. So what's true is, you can't be good enough, yet God loves you. And the proof of his love is the gospel that Christ died for the sins of the world, resurrected, defeating death and sin, ascended to the right hand of God, gave his spirit to those who have responded to this good news. And eventually he will return as king and Lord. Praise God for that. What's true is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So use your money to love God and love others. For God loves you and calls you to obedience. What's true is our way is finite. We have no idea where we really will end up until it's too late to turn around. Therefore, submit to God who leads you toward eternal life with him and his people. Now, what's true is to be fulfilled, to be fulfilled is to walk in obedience to your creator. Don't buy into empty words. Use God's word to sift through what is true and what is the lie. And if you are Christ, remember to put off the old self. See, we believe the lies because we are operating in our old selfish way and not, not the new birth. Don't stay the course of Adam and Eve. Christ gave you a new course. He saved you and has given you a new identity. He has adopted you as sons and daughters. Imitate God who loves you. I think it's very important to remember the love of Christ. But there is a danger to only hearing about the Savior's love without that love leading toward a response of obedience. So do we believe the lie that God will not judge? That you, you are a good person, that you can live however you want, 
that you can just make up the rules as you go. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. The truth is that sin will come out one way or another. Hiding it is not a long-term option. And it's not at all healthy. God sees all. So already you can't hide it. And if you try, it will affect relationships with others negatively. We are called to expose the work of darkness. And we are also called to walk in the light. And how beautiful is it when we as a church community confess sin to one another, seek the forgiveness of each other, and work toward reconciliation. I'm glad and thankful to have seen this happen in this church. That makes my heart glad. And this is what the true gospel of Christ leads us to. It's about restoration. It's about walking in his light and goodness. However, we need to be aware that there are empty words prevalent in the church that take their shape in the form of the gospel that emphasizes cheap grace. And this grace does not discuss our response or necessity of obedience. This kind of theology was actually condemned in church history and is called antinomianism. A great theologian, R.C. Sproul, explains it. There is a pernicious, harmful doctrine in the evangelical church in our day which says that all a person has to do to be redeemed is to accept Jesus as Savior. He doesn't have to receive him as Lord. This dichotomy between Savior and Lord is the clearest, most blatant form of antinomianism seen in the 20th century. The moment we are regenerated, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in our hearts to motivate us, to give us an obedient heart. Now we love the law of God, not because it, was, it is the means by which we are redeemed, but because it reveals to us what pleases our Father whom we love. The moment we embrace Jesus as Savior, we bow to him as Lord and seek to show our love for him by obeying his commands. So in short, what, what R.C. Sproul was trying to say is grace alone allow, <clears throat> that if, if I say grace alone allows me to do whatever I want, those are empty words. And to refuse submission to the Lord God Almighty is disobedience. And this is why it is so important to confess the moment when we find sin in our lives because we see Paul explain that the wrath of God, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, those who continue walking in unrepentant sin. Let me put it another way. We all love John 3.16, right? Who loves John 3.16? Okay. Many of you probably know it by heart. But do you know John 3.36? 
It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. If we could stop there, that'd be great. Continue. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Same book, same author. God's grace is essential. Without his work of the cross and resurrection, we would not be saved. But we're not just looking at salvation here. We're we're looking at living in the kingdom, living in God's family, where we are submitted to his authority as God, as Lord, as King, as Father. See, a king has rules and expectations for the kingdom. A father has rules and expectations for his household. And to refuse this truth is to refuse Christ as Lord. And to refuse Christ as Lord is to refuse Christ as Savior. Thus, disobedience. Thus, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. So my plea is that you don't continue believing the empty words. You know where they go. Believe the full gospel truth. John 3.16 and John 3.36. That Christ is Savior and Lord. That you are loved and regenerated by the Spirit and called to submit to God's rule. Which is why Paul declares next, to walk firmly in the light. It's the second point. Walk firmly in the light. This call is found in verses 7 through 10 in our text, Ephesians 5. Therefore, do not become, part- become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we we establish that Satan is the deceiver. And that the triune God is the source of truth. And Paul has warned us not to be deceived with empty words. And to not become partners with those who walk in darkness And here Paul now calls us to walk as children of light. To help us understand these verses, we must look at the origin of humanity. So remember back in Genesis, been there once, in the beginning, man actually started in light. He started in the light. Adam and Eve were children created by God, given life by God, and they had close healthy relationship with, with the God of the universe. Yet they chose disobedience. They chose darkness. And they partnered with the worker of darkness by believing the lie and acting on it. And you and I are left, you and I are left to the same curse of original sin. And we are separated from God. We had done nothing to restore relationship with him. And feeling sorry isn't enough. And our good, good works aren't enough. 
Our moral character isn't enough. We are not enough in every aspect. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you feel the heaviness of this separation? Paul did. He knew it all too well. The one who persecuted the church, murdering Christians in the name of zealous service to God. How twisted. Yet, I'm just as guilty. I was just as much an enemy of God as Paul then. An intervention occurred. God was our enemy, yet he did the unthinkable. He died on a cross, a brutal, bloody, painful death. Sure, everyone dies, but only one has risen from the dead eternally. A A declaration was made to the world, to all the enemies of God. Christ is the victor. Death and sin are defeated. And you enemies of God stand no chance to overcome his victory. You have only two responses. Continue in futile resistance, leading to your destruction, or surrender. Surrender in recognizing this God desires to have you as a citizen of his kingdom, to have you as a friend, to have you as an adopted child to become his beloved. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to remind you of who you are. I want to remind you of who you are. You are the people of God. You are his precious possession. And you are given great value because of the priceless sacrifice of Christ. Now, if you're not a believer in Christ, I beg of you to give your life to Christ today as Lord. See, he gave his life for you. He has demolished the wall that separates you from him. So surrender to Jesus. Hans and I will be in the back if you desire to talk about what it means to give your life to Christ. Now, knowing who you are in Christ is imperative to understand what it means to then walk in light, in the light as children of God. We remember that Christ is not just Savior, but he is also Lord, and this leads us to submit to his will. So the question now is, how do we know his will? What are we to submit to? And Paul gives instruction in Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, the renewal of your mind is key here. We need to have continued reminders for the truth to actually sink in. So we need God's word. We need Bible teachers. We need examples of Christ's service in various ways. We need to be engaged with God's people. And we need, 
Most importantly, the Holy Spirit that Christ sent to help us. To think that we can just sit around and think that God will just renew our mind is absurd. That is an empty word. Think about it. Does a soldier who doesn't listen to orders do well in the battlefield? Does an athlete who doesn't train or know the rules compete successfully? No. Does a farmer who doesn't put seeds in the ground produce anything? No. Of course not. So why do we think we are any different? Why do I think I'm any different? We are children of light. Let us walk in that identity. So what is walking in the light? It's producing fruit that aligns with the kind of tree we are. It is seeing that Christ is Lord. We are his subjects meant to serve him, to do what pleases him. So what pleases him? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. You aren't the only ones that asked. The Israelites asked similar in Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body and this, for the sin of my soul? Oh, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. See, it isn't about how religious you appear. What it is about is do you have a sincerity to imitate God because you know how good he is? So we can, we can all recognize how to hurt others, and, but do we recognize how to restore others? Look at, look at how God operates to restore, to bring justice, how he does what Micah 6 calls out. He shows love even to his enemies. He shows love even to his enemies. He pursues healthy relationship that shows genuine care for each other. That the other person is counted as more important than yourself. Because he counted us as more important than his life. And that you dig deeper into the greatest command that Christ gave, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. See, if you, if you spent your life investing in implementing ways to love God and people more, because of the love Christ has shown you, then I'd say you are walking in the light. You are walking as a child of God. Now, walking in the light, it's it's not an easy undertaking on our own. If it were, then Christ wouldn't have needed to send the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and to lead us to unity 
with Christ and his people. So I ask again, how do we know what pleases God? Let's consider some earthly relationships in knowing what pleases another person. If you have built a close relationship with another person, you communicate your deeper thoughts and desires to each other. And you commit to each other. And as you do this, you begin to more easily discern what pleases the other person. It's similar to what pleases God. It's time, it is time invested in relationship with Him. And that relationship is experienced in a variety of ways. You, know, you have prayer, scripture reading, listening to Bible teachers, singing songs of worship, thanksgiving, Christ-centered community, and the list can go on. And as you do these things, you will be growing in and learning what pleases him. And not only that, but these interactions themselves please him. So ask yourself, I would write this question down. What changes do you need to make this week to engage in these activities that assist us in walking in the light? What changes do you need to make this week to engage in these activities that assist us in walking in the light? We can easily be overtaken by the darkness that surrounds us. And these steps allow us to to walk in light and help us to understand firm, to stand firm in the midst of the battle. Choosing to walk in the light is not an option. It is a necessity. Let me say that again. Choosing to walk in the light is not an option. It is a necessity. And God has given us these things as tools, not to earn his grace, but to wage war against the kingdom of darkness. Let me ask you this. If you have been given a weapon in battle, why would you not use it? And this is what Paul is trying to tell us as he gives us the command to fight against the darkness. That's the third point. Fight against the darkness. So return with me back to our text in Ephesians 5. Look at verses 11 and 12. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even, even to speak of the things that they do in secret. There's one thing I want to point out regarding darkness in this text. It is unfruitful. Darkness is unfruitful. You're probably familiar with this verse in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. Now remember, the works of darkness is Sin. So thus it leads to death. Another scripture addressing the unfruitfulness of sin is James 1, 14 to 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, death is is about as unfruitful as you can be. I mean, a dead plant can't produce fruit. A dead body has no function. Have I beat this to death yet? No, I have one more thing to add. So Paul takes it a further step in Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. See, don't forget, you were in darkness. I was in darkness. You were dead. I was dead. But by the grace of God, Jesus shone his light into your life. He saved you. Now, but why doesn't everybody want this? Why are some saved and some others not? Jesus clarifies this in John 3.19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people, people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Funny that Paul says that we are to expose them. People in darkness have become so enticed and dependent on the darkness that light just burns. Take cockroaches, for example. You find them in hiding in dark, moist places. And if you come across that place and then flip on the light switch, turn on the light, they will scurry off to the nearest dark, moist place. And something to realize about cockroaches is that they have a very advanced nocturnal vision and thus thrive in that environment. They have adapted to it. And those in the dark, kingdom of darkness think they can thrive in darkness. And to shine the light on someone in darkness most likely will trigger them to run to another place of darkness. Because the darkness doesn't thrive in the light. It hates it. And that helps us understand how we are to expose darkness. Now, which expose may not be the best English word that the translators use here. Uh, A more appropriate word would be reprove. Because exposing has that connotation of shaming. That's not what we're trying to do. But reproof is trying to address the error for the person's well-being so that they might be brought into the light of the gospel truth. So there's this line here of judgment to condemn versus bringing conviction of the gospel truth to save. And I believe Paul is stating the latter. In order that the unbeliever in darkness would repent and become a follower of Christ. Brothers and sisters, you are children of light. You are the children of the light. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your God who is in heaven. The works of light are going to make it very uncomfortable 
for the works of darkness because they're just opposed. And there will be two possible outcomes. The one in darkness will run away and will eventually be brought before the judgment of Christ. Or the Lord draws them out of their darkness by the light that is being shown and they become a child of light. And as children of light ourselves, we must also be careful to look at our own walks and of those of our brothers and sisters. And to not do so would show that we do not see a large difference between darkness and light. Instead, just as darkness hates the light, those of us in the light should passionately hate the darkness. Let me say that again. As darkness hates the light, those of us in the light should passionately hate the darkness. When the church in Corinth was not dealing with sin, Paul rebukes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the leaven, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, the effect of unrepentant and unacknowledged sin is extremely unhealthy for the church. And part of our walk in the light is to rebuke the darkness within. And we must show each other the same sincere love that Christ showed us. See, remember, Christ did the work of justifying you by grace, and those of you who have been justified are regenerated and will not be content in continuing in darkness. Your desire will be to fight against the darkness and walk in the good works He, Christ, set before you. I have one more verse to show you. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Give me an amen when you're there. Amen. It says, For the love of many is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves of many pains. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the, in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I want to call you to fight the good fight against darkness. Take time today for introspection and ask, is there anything in your life that is of the kingdom of darkness that needs to be brought to light? Is there anything in your life that is of the kingdom of darkness that needs to be brought to light? Now, this could be sin done by you or done to you. If, if it is sin you have done, then it is time to confess it to the person you have sinned against and seek reconciliation. If it is sin that has been done to you, then go to your brother or sister and bring it into the light. We as elders will be in the back to help you through this process of bringing it into the light. We want to help you walk through that. So never, never give in to the darkness. And don't be deceived with empty words. Light does not partner with darkness. It radiates from the source, Yahweh. So fight the good fight of faith. Remember who you are allegiant to, who you trust in, who you give your life to. It is Christ the Savior, Christ the King, Christ the Lord. And take comfort and be filled with joy that He loves you. He has given you this, the Holy Spirit to dwell with you and empower you in the fight. He has united us together in this fight, in the pursuit of his glory, and rejoice in the fact that he will return to finish the fight, bringing the fullness of his kingdom with him. Never give up. Never give in. 